You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the seasons change and the weather warms up, may I suggest a delicious glass of the Terlato Pinot Grigio. It was 1979 when Anthony Terlato introduced America to Pinot Grigio, earning him the title, the father of Pinot Grigio. Since then, his son Bill has spent years making sure that the taste of this Pinot Grigio would be unlike any other in the market. Notes of peach, pear, citrus, and a distinct minerality. From the hills of northern Italy, the grapes meticulously handpicked. This would be a dynamite choice for your summer table. Use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, Visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most fascinating and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Chef Eric Williams. Hospitality is the human connection and what service provides. Mm -hmm. It's the human touch. Mm -hmm. It's the personal extension of kindness. Eric Williams is the owner and executive chef of Virtue Restaurant and Bar in Chicago. He is a passionate and celebrated chef. And just this week, he won the James Beard Award for Best Chef Great Lakes Region. His Hyde Park restaurant has been getting much attention over the past few years for its nod to Southern hospitality and cooking in a fine dining setting. His Chicago roots run deep, and his hard work and persistence has led him to create this unique concept 
on Chicago's South Side. Please enjoy my interview with 2022 James Beard Award winner, Chef Eric Williams. Hi, Eric. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So I had the great fortune of just diving into your menu literally a few minutes ago. And wow, am I hungry from biscuits and pimento cheese to duck liver to shrimp and grits, short rib, catfish, cornbread and honey butter. Wow. Is that a great menu? Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm hungry. It takes me back to my time in Arkansas. The food just sounds absolutely amazing. Why did you name the restaurant Virtue? So I am a faith-based person, and part of my practice in restaurants aligns with my faith practice. Um, Chefs are expected to source ingredients, work towards a more definite resolve as it relates to sustainability. Chefs are expected to take integral approach to cooking, and restaurants as a whole, work very, very hard to master the skill of hospitality, Mm -hmm. which is quite different from service. Yes. Even though they're often confused. And so hospitality, kindness, integrity, decency, all of those things are virtues Mm -hmm. and they align with my day-to-day practices personally. So it's Mm -hmm. an opportunity for my personal and professional practices to align. Oh, that's good. Let's let's start there because you said there's a difference between hospitality and service. Can you explain what you mean by that? I think I know, so, but I'd like to hear it. Let's say we were hosting a um, dinner in your home. Mm-hmm. If someone's water or their whatever refreshment was low, service commands that we offer more. Mm-hmm. Service commands that if someone spills on the table, that we wipe up the water or the spill. If someone drops their silverware on the floor, that we replace said silverware. Service deals with a lot of the practical steps in hosting a meal. Hospitality is you and I are at your home and someone pops in or drops by and they don't come by for dinner. Or maybe it's someone like your post office worker, someone's delivering a package. And you notice that it's 90 plus degrees outside and the person is perspiring. Hospitality commands that you offer something for them to wipe their brow. Mm. You may go to the fridge without being requested and grab a couple of options of cold drinks and offer them. Hospitality is the human connection and what service provides. Mm -hmm. It's the human touch. Mm -hmm. It's the personal extension of kindness. And that's why hospitality is so unique to service. And don't you think with with all that we have collectively been through in the pandemic, that hospitality is needed now like never before. And in a way, it's almost, even though it's needed more, collectively our personality, we're, we're almost more independent and isolated. So 
we don't even know we need it. I feel like people have changed over the past couple of years and are just thirsty for it. So I would respond by saying that I don't disagree with the path you're taking. Mm -hmm. However, I would word it a little different. Mm -hmm. And I would word it by saying, it's not needed more than ever. It's always been needed. Mm -hmm. And that's why many of our grandparents have such fond memories in our hearts because they were some of the people that, you know, grandparenting, is so different from parenting because you don't have the stresses right. of the day to day. Yes. So you get the best parts of yes. children. And you get to, you know, we all talk about spoiling kids, but we get to really extend ourselves to them uninhibited because we're not worried about overloving right. or the child taking advantage of us at that point in our lives. And so I grew up with hospitality and I, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize the importance of my grandmother checking in. Mm. I didn't realize the importance of going to her home and not being able to leave without tasting something. Mm-hmm. And when we think about what holidays mean in this country or have meant to people for many, many years, shortly after the um, depression, people just didn't have a lot. Mm -hmm. And we mean like a large amount of people didn't have a lot. Mm -hmm. You take the many movements, the civil rights movements, all the tension that's happened in this country over the years were were points where, where people were advocating because they didn't have a lot. They didn't have ready access to any form of abundance. And sometimes enough to sustain themselves. And so why were holidays so important? It was a collective of whatever funds or resources you had, and it was shared on those days. If you didn't have a good year at all, we celebrated you by celebrating the day you were born, your Mm. birthday. A lot of times we talk about in impoverished families, you know, making ends meet. And, you know, that may mean that there aren't really robust meals. They're just meals that sustain you. Well, Christmas was a time and Thanksgiving were times when people came together and there was like legitimate cooking being done. Feasts. Not, not, yeah. yeah, feasts. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was celebratory. It was It was a high time. And it didn't matter what was going on in the world. It didn't matter who was going to be broke the next day, mm-hmm. that moment was reserved for people to come together and enjoy one another around food and abundance mm. of food. And so I think we, we've seen examples of this over and over and over again, but maybe we, over time, started to diminish the importance of what those times meant to our ancestry and how important they were for us to have the access and in some cases have the entitlement mm. that we clinch to now. Mm. You mentioned your grandmother and going over to her house and always getting a bite to eat and how she checked in on you. Where did she live and where did you grow up? I first met my grandmother in Chicago. She was from Mississippi. Mm. I grew up on the west side of Chicago mm-hmm. and, and my grandmother resided 
as long as I can remember on the South side. Mm -hmm. And so we would commute from one side of the city to the next. Um, and she had a home on the South side that was as long as I can remember filled with love. Mm -hmm. And it sincerely is one of my fondest memories. I, I remember as a kid playing in her backyard, I remember sitting on her knee in the beginning eating cookies and I would eat so many of them that my mother at some point put a kibosh on that. <laughs> and, um, and so then my grandmother just eloquently converted that to raisins because I could get the same intense sugar fix, but in what was to be quoted a healthier option. Mm. And so it's that kind of maneuvering or that nimble positioning that extends the best of hospitality. If a, a, a dear friend of yours shows up to the restaurant and negates to tell you that they're on a new diet <laughs> and we get to the table, they're slightly embarrassed. We notice that they're not eating and we take the time to listen and hear what their need is, how shy they are about talking about it and drill down enough information about that diet to create a la minute, a different experience for that person. Mm. It becomes memorable for them in ways that we can't imagine. It becomes very personal for them. Mm. And it's our personal effort to win that person over and allow them to be as comfortable in our environment as everyone else. Mm. Ooh, let me stop you there. Let me stop yeah. you there because I, you just said two really awesome things. One is really noticing uh, paying attention to other people enough so that you can then make it personal, right? So you have to first kind of be tuned into the other person, their needs, what's going on in their life, how they are. And then in turn, you have to act, you have to make it personal. That's all crucial part of hospitality. It's a very crucial part. If you think about how traumatic it was to witness publicly George Floyd's murder, and then we think about the many people that were in their social circles stating, I didn't know that this existed. Mm. What can I do? How can I be more active? How can I be more involved? This is an atrocity. And then the response from the Black community, which was a very, very profound but simple statement. Be quiet and listen. Mm -hmm. If you really want to help, just be quiet and listen. The answers many times are in listening. If we sincerely want to care for people, and we often forget, we forget it with our elders, we forget it with our children, and we forget it in our society, that there are moments when we just need to be quiet and listen. No one's impressed when they're in trouble with how many shovels you have when they're in a ditch, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Giving them an inventory of your shovels doesn't help them at all. <laughs> Letting them know how many yards of rope you have don't really impress them at all. Right. But if they're asking, right, for a specific form of help, the person that you're throwing a rope to may not be strong enough to hold on to said rope. They may need someone with a harness. Mm -hmm. And so how do we get to that place if the, if the logical explanation is you need help in a hole, I've pulled people out of holes and I have rope. 
but that still doesn't fit their situation. Mm. I have the opportunity to sit in a really amazing class on equity and equality. And this was all over the last two years. And part of the narrative was equality is not enough. And they use an example. In many cities, the equality response to infrastructure in said communities is to just make sure that all the sidewalks are up to code, up to standard, and people could walk down the sidewalks without tripping hazards. So whatever you invest in one community, let's invest in the next community so that everyone can walk down the sidewalk without fear. That's equality. And for many of us, upon hearing that, that sounds like a noble thing and it also sounds like a small thing. However, what happens to the person that's handicapped? Equality provides a resource that may not extend to the person with a special need. Equity considers all of the needs. And so what we really embrace and what we embark upon when we extend ourselves by way of hospitality is having something sweet for the kids. It would have been a good form of equality if my grandmother just had cookies or cake. But my need was special. My mother was concerned that she was going to overspend on dental work at the rate that I was eating sweets. So we had to make an adjustment, right? And equity allows room for everyone, for everyone, no matter what their circumstance, condition, and or stipulation is. So your friend with the newly started diet has room. And that doesn't, it, it, that takes into account that she may not be vegan, vegetarian, lactose intolerant, gluten allergy, any of that. She just happens to be on some different random diet. diet. Yeah. Right, random diet. And so it's important because we all want to be valued. None of us want to be ostracized or isolated. None of us want to be on the outside of the circle. We just don't. And if we are on the outside, we want to be on the outside by choice. And that choice should be ours. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. 
It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. As the seasons change and the weather warms up, may I suggest a delicious glass of the Turlato Pinot Grigio. It was 1979 when Anthony Turlato introduced America to Pinot Grigio, earning him the title, the father of Pinot Grigio. Since then, his son Bill has spent years making sure that the taste of this Pinot Grigio would be unlike any other in the market. Notes of peach, pear, citrus, and a distinct minerality. From the hills of northern Italy, the grapes meticulously handpicked. This would be a dynamite choice for your summer table. Use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. You grew up in Chicago, as you said, the west side. Grandmother was on the south side. Will you take me through the roots of your cooking in Chicago? I know MK played a pivotal role, but where? tell me a little bit about the evolution of your cooking, specifically in Chicago. I started cooking many years ago now at a place called the Solar Bar and Grill. And okay. it was very short-lived. And a friend of mine was actually quitting that job. And I needed a job not to sustain myself, but to check the family box that, you know, I had some idle time. And if you have idle time, you should do two things based on my family's interpretation of how you live. And that is you should either be educating yourself in some formal structure. So self-education does not count. They don't care how many books you've read. Um, you need to show up somewhere and be productive. Or you should have a job. Anything less, less than that, in my family's opinion, is less than the standard. Mm. And so I went and got a job at this place simply to satisfy my family's desire for me to be productive. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I was actually studying real estate, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. Mm. And I thought that is what I really wanted to do. Okay. But real estate classes don't equate to like a formal institution. Okay. And so I was a rebellious kid. So, so they, they weren't just concerned because everyone had to go to school or be at a job. They understood that my idle hands could find themselves into all sorts of things. So 
I worked at that place for a while, a stint, and I was walking down the street and I passed a man sweeping. I had on headphones and I heard a voice say, ask that man if they're hiring. And I looked at the guy and I said, that guy's got a broom. And I kept walking because I wasn't trying to sweep. Um, <laughs> that didn't seem like the job I was looking for. And I took another few steps and I heard that voice again. And it was clear in my head. And I turned around and I looked at the guy again. And the same response happened shortly after. And I got to the corner and I heard this very clear voice again say, and not with any urgency, hmm. just ask the man if they're hiring. And I turned around the third time, just like, what, you know, why not? And I asked the gentleman if they were hiring. He went in and got his chef. His chef came out. They gave me an interview that week. And he stated, if anything changes at your current job, we would love to bring you on, but this is an opening. And so we need you to have more availability than you have now. Mm. And I said, well, thanks so much. I was glad that they were even going to consider hiring me. And I went back to work. And at the end of that week, I got laid off from that job. And then I walked up the block and let the guys know that some things had changed. And I didn't miss a check. The pay cycles overlapped. I started at this new place called the Hudson Club. And it was an interesting ride for quite a while. And then from there, I did a short stint in a hotel. Um, and that was a very short stint. And I shortly after started at MK, where Michael Cornick talked to me in depth about hand and eye coordination and basketball, being able to recover from having a turnover on offense and going from offense to defense. And he equated those moments to cooking in a way that I had never imagined. And this idea that a party comes into the restaurant, they're looking to have an amazing meal. And just like I brought up, and all of a sudden you bring the food out and somebody negates to tell us while we're taking the order that they have a shrimp allergy and they order a dish that clearly states that it has shrimp on it. And so do we berate the person? Do we give them a lecture on how they should read better or focus more? Or do we whisk away the dish and quickly make our way to the kitchen and refire a dish absent of their allergen and return it hot, seasoned, and delicious? And that's what we do. And so I thought it sounded cool. You know, I still wanted to be in real estate, but I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> and so, um, so I took a shot at it. And the truth is, Michael was so passionate about food, it became infectious. Mm. And I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about food and the history of food. I learned a lot about myself. Mm. And I, I grew up in that kitchen. And mm. so I worked with Michael a little shy of two decades. We're still friends. I started on the salad station and worked my way up to partnership with him. Wow. A portion of the time I was there as a manager, I felt inadequate. I was training people who were my age, older and sometimes younger, to do things 
that they had gone to school to learn but had not perfected them to the level that I was able to do them. And because I didn't go to school to be a chef, I was insecure about it. Mm. And so like most people who have insecurities, then you use something else to kind of, you know, blanket your insecurity. Sure. And so rather than doing what so many people I've met do when they're insecure, and that is become extremely arrogant, I chose to do the thing that I thought I could do well, and that was support the development of the people around me. And that became a really important part of my practice. It has created lasting relationships. And very few people who have worked with me and are still in touch with me have the option to say that they don't receive mentorship. Mm. So it's it sounds like you know, you didn't know it, but you were learning in this pivotal job at MK, you were learning all the basics and uh, not just the basics, but the substance and the grit and the persistence of what it would take to run and create your own restaurant. Am I right? Well, that's 100% accurate. So when, at what point did you have the vision and the idea to create your own restaurant? And did you always want it to be virtue or how did that develop? Um, I did not always want it to be virtue. I had a business before virtue and it was a catering business that I was growing and that was actually doing very well during MK and flourished quite a bit post MK. I received a call one day for an opportunity to chef a kitchen on the South side. And I was doing some interviews around that time and and was challenged after leaving one of the interviews with the notion that I was going to take over a kitchen, create new standards, redo the menu. That much change right away generally leads to mass turnover, Mm -hmm. which leads to extended hours and a very, very focused commitment. And then I had had a son who was very young, adolescent. And I was thinking about how many waking hours I wanted to miss in my son's life Mm. to to open a restaurant for someone else. Mm. And the people who were going to hire me are, are really, really sharp and very successful in their own right. It had nothing to do with them. The challenge itself challenged me to really think about this idea that this could be an opportunity for me to take the biggest risk on myself, Mm. understanding that I would have the rest of my life to work Mm -hmm. if that's what I elected to do or if I I failed at my attempt. Mm. And so I had some things that I wanted to do, and they weren't just cooking. I wanted to operate differently. You know, it's kind of like being parented and then parenting. Mm-hmm. You tweak some things and you and you learn from some things and you try to improve on some things. And there are some things that you learn aren't worth improving. You should just do it the way that it was done because <laughs> right. they actually had it right. <laughs> right. Um, even though when you were experiencing um, said behaviors or support or discipline, you thought that there had to be a better way to do it than this. And so I then really took a serious look at sites and started negotiating with the person that reached out to me on whether or not we should further our opportunity as 
me being the chef or if I would have the potential to be a partner and I couldn't get a deal that was worthwhile. There were a few people that were involved advocating for the deal to happen. Then I started looking at other spaces and, you know, they just didn't feel right. And when it was all said and done, I ended up at the original space. And that is where Virtue lives now. Okay. So Hyde Park and you have this fine, beautiful, fine dining restaurant, a nod to Southern cooking, but the restaurant, as the name suggests, embodies so much more than a restaurant. There is a depth and a substance to what you're doing that is very intentional. And so, you know, they say that if you want to master something, you teach it. And it sounds like you spent 20 years teaching all of, in many different ways, the basics of running a restaurant. So how scary was it when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my own restaurant. How much do, when you were trying to envision the actual concept, take me to that moment when you were like, what do I want this to be? It doesn't work like that. And, and I know it doesn't because I've spent some time opening restaurants pre the opening of Virtue under the group that I worked with and consulted with friends on restaurants during our time at Virtue. So you have an idea of what a thing is and, and, and then you, you create these budgets and performers and mock menus and training manuals. Your handbook is a legal document. So that doesn't change a whole lot with exception to some things. But like your, your training menu, which overlaps with your handbook, changes and adapts if you really get it quickly because those two documents represent the, you know, if they're done well, they represent the best of equality again. But then you got to extend to the person who needs, who has a special need. We keep running into this. And so the space, if it's done really, really well, gives everybody an equal opportunity to come in and enjoy a great meal and be treated really well. But then how does the space manipulate itself or conform to a person's need? And then the food, if it's done really, really well, it's the same sentiment, right? Speaks to a very specific thing and there's need for it to conform. And so you have an idea of what the space is and then the space tells you what it's going to be. And you have to be open to what it's saying. Your, your customer base tells you mm. what they want you to be. You, you pick most modern chefs. You, you pick most chefs who have owned and operated or who have written menus. And there's a thing that they want on the menu. And there's a thing that the customers want on the menu. And we're all in search for the thing that brings people back. But we also get tired of that thing. <laughs> Right, because you want to be inventive and creative, sure. Right, and they're saying, oh my God, this is so delicious. What's the next cool thing you're going to come up with? You know, I'd eat anything you cook. And then you create all of this abundance because you believe that that person has really bought into, they've really, they're really trusting you to be innovative. Right. And what do they order after you spend an hour talking to them about all these cool things that you're going to cook and how you... Um, had your first trip in the ocean to, to personally forge these, these oysters and how you 
you know, forged in the forest in order to personally pick these mushrooms and bring them back. You kept them cool at just the right temperature. They still order the dish. They want they, the mac and cheese. Yes. I'll take the mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> they like the story. Right. They want everybody at the table to hear the story. Right. They still just want the mac and cheese. Right. So it's the two concentric circles of your passion, what you want to create and what, what actually sells, right? Because after all, it's a business. Yes. What does it mean that it's in Hyde Park? What does it mean to you? It means a lot to me. And it means a lot because Hyde Park is surrounded by a predominantly Black community. That means something because many of the restaurants that I have dined at and worked in are supported by and funded by and occupied by a race other than my own. And it feels good to have a space that creates not just more equitable space, but diversity Mm -hmm. in a way that feels very natural and organic. And it has worked very, very well for us. I mean, I've had people from all over the world, quite literally, comment on the people that are in the room. Mm -hmm. And the comments usually go in the form of compliments And they talk about how, like, wow, I've never been in a restaurant where there's such a diverse mix Mm. of people. Mm. Every shade, every length of hair, every demographic, Mm. all in the same room. And also a room where people are more engaged with the people that they're sitting with. Hmm. And the people that are around them. A lot of restaurants you go in and people go in them so they can be seen sure. or in the hopes that they see someone. Right. And at virtue, it feels like you're going to someone's house. It's like, hmm. who cares if you should, if anyone else showed up, you're there. Hmm. And I've been taught, you know, to, to, to see the room a certain way so that people don't ever feel like they're alone. Hmm. So you kind of keep people in clusters hmm. until the room, you know, gets really full. We've been fortunate to be full a lot. But we're still not full 100% of capacity every single night. And so we look at this approach to kind of keep people together. And what we found is someone will ask, can I sit over there (laughs) away from everyone else? And this is (laughs) pre-pandemic. People are happy to just be in the room. And we wanted that to happen. but, But everything, our data doesn't show us that that is a habit that we should look to follow. You said you took a a huge chance on yourself. You were coveted by many people to be the chef at their restaurant, but here you are taking your own chance. You stuck your own neck out there. What does it feel like to receive the attention and the success that this restaurant has attracted? Validating. It feels like we're being well-received. It's also humbling. I have a friend who called me easily every time I got uh, a mention that they read or heard about, and they had the same message every time they called. For every bit of press you get, you have to work that much harder. Mm. Every single time I got the press, they made it their business to call me, to remind me of that. And this is a person that I admire. Her name's Mindy Siegel. Sure. And, Mindy's um, hot chocolate. Yes. And Mindy got a lot of press when she opened 
hot chocolate and has been recognized ever since. And it meant a lot to me that she would focus on keeping me grounded because she cares enough about me not to allow me on her watch to be caught up in the trend of the day or the compliment of the moment. So if I wanted to just be concise and I if I would have answered you with one answer instead of giving you multiple or, or a lengthier answer, I would simply say I felt humbled and um, I felt like I had more work to do. What's the best advice you've ever received? I don't, I don't um, take score on advice and I receive a lot of advice and I take, I take a lot of it to heart. As you can tell, I'm a storyteller. So it's hard for me to even distill advice into a couple of sentences. I will tell you what comes to mind when you ask that question and that's easier. Mm -hmm. I had a dear friend tell me that he's learned in life that the harder he works, the luckier he gets. And that's different from making your own luck. I've listened to people talk about making your own luck and being the captain of your own ship. And you could be the captain of your own ship and still and the results could be the Titanic. But <laughs> hard work, people respect hard work. You have to be willing to take some risks. And it's quite frankly, a leap of faith. Hmm. You have to have faith in yourself. You have to have faith in your ability. You have to have faith in your community, the people who support you. Mm. In my own faith practice, my faith extends beyond myself into a higher power. But it's hard to get one of those and be successful. You, you kind of need a combination of them. On this podcast, I usually start by asking the guest, what is their favorite restaurant? And I always feel like someone's favorite restaurant begins to tell something about them. It could be a nod to their culture, where they're from, what they love, but it says something. And I know it's awfully hard because you've been to so many wonderful restaurants, but I'm wondering if you could share where you would say is one of your favorite restaurants. And I'm assuming it would be in Chicago. One of my favorite restaurants is Esme by um, Jenna Tomaska, the chef and owner and his wife, Katrina. Jenner is a dear friend. He's more like a little brother. He's a confidant. And so I understand what he's seeking to do every day. As a chef, it's really confusing when you're in a restaurant and you don't understand what the chef is trying to say or what the service is trying to accomplish. My favorite restaurants tend to be restaurants that have a mission and they could be a very complex one or a very simple one. I love the food at Lula by Jason mm-hmm. Hamill. Mm-hmm. Jason has affectionately said to me that no matter what he does by way of his career, it's something about Lula that keeps him young. Mm-hmm. And it's not really something, it's the community mm-hmm. around and that he and the one that he's create, created mm-hmm. at, at Lula. Um, and You know, we aspire to have a community that will support us as long as Lula's been supported, Mm -hmm. both in and outside of the restaurant. I really love Yuzu, Mm -hmm. which is a sushi spot that I go to from time to time. 
And I've always had a rule to never buy cheap sushi. It's <laughs> a good um, one. That's a very smart rule. <laughs> yeah. Cheap raw fish is usually not the best choice. Um, but they are really value driven. It's some of the most competitively priced sushi in the city. And it's artful, it's delicious, it's fresh. And they've got this funky kind of hip hop urban style to what they do mm-hmm. that's expressed and it's not pretentious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could I could name a dozen restaurants. You're you're doing you're doing a great job. I know I know it's a hard question, especially for a chef, but you've done a fantastic job. You what something you said that really struck me was that when you're dining out, you really love when a restaurant has a mission and is trying to say something. So what I'm going to ask you, what are you trying to say every night when people come to Virtue? Well, I will answer for the sake of us being on a podcast, but the truth is you've already answered it. And you stated earlier in the interview that it's obvious that I'm intentional. So we're not trying to say anything. We are very focused on having a business that expresses Black culture in very, very specific and nuanced ways. Mm. There's Black art on the walls by celebrated Black artists that use really intentional mediums to tell their stories around our culture, and it happens to be fine art. We play Black music. And I don't play any other music and not because I don't like any other music, but because there's enough music written by black artists for me to celebrate black contribution in a way that feels healthy. And I can't think of any other group that has had as much music taken from them and covered only for the artists to basically have their their intellectual property vandalized. We have an abundance of minority team members. There are African symbols. Um, There are Southern symbols from the slave trade in our space. None of it slaps you in the face. But you know you're somewhere that is focused on the diasporic impact in this country and beyond. And then we wrap all of that in kindness Mm. and in integrity and in decency, and in hospitality. And so it's a, it's a trek in culture. You know, it's kind of a tour in culture. Black food, Black ingenuity by way of the arts, and music is encompassed in the arts. And it, it feels good, you know? And, and, and we're not bashful. Our restaurant is surrounded with sayings that were like last statements or testaments. Um, I can't breathe. I can't watch birds in peace and I can't own a gun legally. And some of them are statements that people didn't make physically, but their actions made the statement. Some of them are statements that people actually did make before they left here. And that sounds abrupt. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to virtual date night. We got to walk past these really confrontational signs, but we don't put them there to be confrontational. We put them there to allow people to never settle again. 
I remember hearing of and then later seeing the, the sentiment that is on many Jewish temples. Never again. That's not a confrontational statement as you go into your place of worship. It is a intentional reminder to advocate for yourself. And we should all advocate for ourselves. And this is not a call to action when you go to dinner. With the exception to the fact that we want people to come in that are decent. We want people to come in that are uh, working towards integrity. Because we want our space to be an integral space. And we want it to be safe space. And there is a way we found a balance. We struck a chord where we can be the best version of ourselves without hiding behind someone else's needs. Mm. Well, cheers to you, Eric. I mean, first of all, think about, go back to like the first year at MK to who you are now. I mean, wow, what an evolution, not only as someone who's evolved in the restaurant space, but someone who has really built something that is transportive, right? That is transportive when people come to your restaurant. So cheers to you and all your success. I really appreciate your time and your talent today. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at To Dine For TV and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.